Well, join me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 13 tonight. So join me there, and I will start reading aloud. Okay, starting at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you, should sor lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We're going to take two verses of uh, chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know how perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can have hope, Lord, in you, Lord. Hope in eternity with you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you to fill this place, Lord, that, that you would help us to understand these scriptures. And Lord, as we learn, help us to apply them to our lives tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, if you remember, the first half of 1 Thessalonians, we discovered that the Christian journey involves pleasing the Lord. On that journey, we become more and more like Jesus. And our love for others is deepened and grown. Now, the journey continues our whole entire lives until we meet the Lord, either in death or in rapture, what we're talking about tonight, when we are caught up with him, Paul says. Now, you've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss, right? Right? Ignorance is bliss. But not so when you're having the conversation we're having tonight. An ignorant or uninformed Christian, that can lead to hopelessness. That can lead to hopelessness. Paul is concerned for these new believers in Thessalonica. He does not want them to be hopeless or uninformed. So we're in Thessalonica, and I've got a few slides that I wanted to show you of modern-day Thessalonica. So I'm going to wait for our video team to get those up for us. Video guys up in the booth, can, you, can we have our slides? Look at modern-day Thessalonica. Ooh, how nice is that? It is a beachfront town where lots of commerce has happened. Next slide, please. We see some beautiful architecture. Next one. Oh, well, it's a beautiful street. It's just huge. Okay, can I have my last slide, please? Ah, overlooking the city. And that's St. Paulo's Church there. Modern-day Thessalonica. I like to show these pictures like Pastor Ed does because these are real places that you can travel to. Enjoy living up the New Testament. It is still there. You can travel to Israel and squish this, 
The same sand between your toes that Jesus squished between his toes. And then you can enjoy all of Greece and Turkey where a ton of the New Testament takes place at. So Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, this is one letter of many letters that Paul wrote. He spent his life encouraging churches, reminding them of biblical truth. And as we go through these letters, this statement of, I don't want you to be ignorant, or I don't want you to be uninformed, it's a recurring statement. He says it a few other times. Like 1 Corinthians 10.1, he says, re- regarding the Old Testament scriptures, things that happened, he says he wants us to not be ignorant of the scriptures. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of what happened in, in old times. They're a model for us to understand God. So we've got to study the Old Testament. He also said in 1 Corinthians 12, he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so much of the church is. There's the Holy Spirit. He gives tons of gifts to different people, and Paul didn't want us to be uninformed about those things. He also says in Romans 11.25, He didn't want us to be uninformed about God's heart for Israel. He's always had a heart for the Jewish people. He knew, we knew because of the Bible that Israel would be restored. And look what happened in 1948. Israel became their uh, recognized nation. And tonight, he says, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He doesn't want us to be uninformed about what's going to happen. He's talking about the rapture, the second coming of Christ. I've always said that garbage in, garbage out. Wrong teaching, wrong teaching leads to wrong beliefs. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong living. And Paul was concerned about how the Thessalonians, how they would grieve. He didn't want them to grieve like those who grieve with no hope. The reason why is because Paul knew that death for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ, is not the end. He knew that death is not the end for the believer in Jesus Christ. So he doesn't want them to grieve like those who don't have that hope. It's okay to grieve, though. Grief is deep sorrow for loss, of any loss. Loss of life is probably the most popular one. But people uh, grieve when they lose their family stability or maybe a job, you know, or maybe their favorite pet. Or, I don't know, there's all kinds of things that change in our lives that we then endure deep sorrow or loss for. Grief was not just reserved for death. It's it's reserved, it's a healthy, healthy emotional process for any type, enduring any type of change if it affects you that greatly. The reason why I'm trying to make that so clearly is because I've been with other believers when they're experiencing some radical change or loss, and they're all, I know I shouldn't be crying. 
I know I shouldn't be so sad. It's like, what are you talking about? You just endured a great and heavy loss. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. When people teach that it's wrong for us to be sad over loss, tell them to kick rocks, pound sand, because it totally is okay to cry and be emotional. God has emotions. The Bible talks about God getting mad. The Bible also talks about that Jesus himself, he got angry. Jesus himself, he cried. And I'm here to tell you that I am living proof that Jesus has a sense of humor. He totally loves to laugh and have parties. You ever heard of the wedding feast at Cana? Oh my gosh, Jesus loves joining our celebrations, guys. And we, we're created in his image. We have emotions. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve with hope believer. Hope is the perfect response. It's the, it's the perfect co-pilot in your grief. We're not trying to avoid grieving. What we're trying to do here is learn how to grieve with hope. It's like we're training. It's like we're training. We're, we're, is that me? That's me. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's like we're training. We're getting ready. Like athletes who train, they study plays and whatnot, they do scrimmages. Well, we're training. Every time we're sitting down and we're praying and we're, we're reading our Bible, we're fellowshipping with one another, doing some type of Bible study and we're worshiping, man, we are training. We're, we're, we're training for all these different events that might happen in our life. And death is one that does happen. But we have supplies like hope. What is hope? Well, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past, it guarantees our participation in what he's going to do in the future. Hope is the confidence in what God has done in the past, and it guarantees our participation in what he's doing in the future. You see it? Take a look at everything God has done in the past. Look at his scripture. Man, God has had great victories. This is a little different than the world's definition of hope. See, the world's definition of hope is a feeling. A feeling that what is wanted will happen. Okay, that's the world's definition of hope. Right now, tons of 49er and Chiefs fans are sitting there hoping that their team's going to take it next week. They're hoping that what they want to happen will happen. That's like the worldly definition of hope, this feeling, this wishing upon a star, you know, all this stuff. That, those are just, ah, come on. The hope that we're talking about is the same hope that Hebrews talks about. Hebrews says that this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtains into God's inner sanctuary. Hebrews 6.19, it says that it's a strong and trustworthy anchor. Think of a, um, like a giant naval ship and those big anchors. Man, those anchors, those chains, they, they can withstand like 
stresses of like 60,000 pounds I read. And our hope in Jesus Christ, our hope in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could have, for that those who believe, can't believe I messed up the most popular verse in the Bible, guys. We who believe will have life that lasts forever. I got the key points. John 3.16. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son, the world might be saved. That was extra critic, because that was John 3.17, which like nobody knows. There you go. We have hope. We have hope. We have hope. So we are not to grieve like those who have no hope, who have no understanding or confidence in God's promises. Remember, hope is based on what we have what God did in the past. He split the Red Sea for Moses, right, to rescue the Hebrews. Joseph, he got him out of jail. Man, he got him out of slavery. Man, Queen Esther, there's a, there's a massacre about to happen with all her people. He rescued it. He rescued them. What has God done in the past? Man, he has a whole book about his victories. What is he going to do in the future? We're going to talk about that tonight. We do not have to grieve like those who don't have hope. Check out verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Wow. Let's talk about how they describe Jesus. Paul describes Jesus as Jesus, God the Son. He, this is how he deals with death. He died, and then three days later, the Bible says he rose again, just like it says here in verse 14. And we know that from all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look how he describes believers. This is an interesting one that throws cult for like a frenzy because they believe that when it says that we're sleeping, that that's actually what happens. It says Paul describes the believers as those who sleep in Jesus. Okay, I'm always trying to remind people that when we are reading these letters, you are reading someone's mail from 2,000 years ago. These people lived in that amazing beach town city. They um, had multiple gods. They're, they didn't have Twitter or iPhones or anything like that. I'm trying to develop background for you. They lived under the rule of Caesar. Roman and Greek culture was rampant. It, they were the heavy influencers back then. And when those people, when their culture back then said sleep, they, in those ancient times, believed sleep was this eternal sleep. Okay, fast forward a couple thousand years. There are false religions, cults, that believe that when a person's dying, that died, that they are in a soul sleep, soul sleep. That's not biblical. That's not what he's saying. He's literally just using a term from the time. Because for those who believe in Jesus, death is no more harmful than a nap. Well, I don't know. I've been around dead bodies, Rick, and they seem pretty dead. Like, I'm telling you, it's no more harmful than a nap. When we die, we are alive with Christ. We're not in some soul sleep, as some religions teach. Bodies may look asleep, but the Bible clearly teaches that we're conscious and alive. 
you have verses for that? Of course I do. I'm not going to make claims like that if the Bible doesn't back me up. Check out 2 Corinthians 5. So, we are always of good courage, knowing, excuse me, we know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 is saying to be absent from the body is to be in the presence, for the, uh, in the, uh, in the presence of the Lord. Take your last breath here, believer. Your very next breath is in front of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Paul knew that oh so well that in to the, his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 23, Philippians 1, 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Between the two, he meant like hanging out with the other believers, writing letters, preaching, and being on mission, or hanging out with Jesus Christ forever in eternity. He's like, oh, I don't know, guys, what seems like the better deal here? Jesus himself in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man talks about how they were conscious. They were conscious. Oh, Father Abraham, he says, the rich man says, oh, I'm here in torment. He goes, oh, man, I want to send people back to go tell my family that, about all this, that, they, that they'd be in paradise. They're conscious, they're conscious. It is not biblical to believe in soul sleep. It's not like you're just sitting there dead sleep for a long time, no consciousness. That is biblically inaccurate. We are alive. There is life in Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the, not the napper. He's the life. He's the life. This is our hope, our trustful expectation, that when we die, we're with the Lord. We're with the Lord. No reincarnation, only resurrection. Thessalonians had their question, though. Okay, okay, Pastor Rick, we get that. We get to be with Jesus forever. The Thessalonians' question was that we know Jesus is coming back. We know he's coming back because we've been hearing how he's coming again. He's coming again. But what happens with our loved ones, the other believers that have died? They're thinking they're going to be missing out. And Paul's like, hold on, let me correct that that they're going to be missing out because they're missing out on this like cool opportunity to see Jesus come in all his glory. No way, no way. I know it. You know how I know? Because think about the thief on the cross. Remember that? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul goes on to write in verse 15, for this we say, to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For this we say by the word of the Lord. Paul is claiming that he is saying, I have this direct revelation from the Lord. He has God's direct word downloaded into him. Believer, you too have God's direct word right here. It's probably in every one of your phones as well. We have God's word. Paul had a revelation from the Lord. 
God said, this is how it is. Now, Paul may have had this direct revelation talking about what happens, how much, how much hope we can have, but you know what he didn't know? He didn't know the time of Jesus' second coming. Paul did not know that. Jesus himself said, but the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, Matthew 24, 36. Ooh, so Paul had this direct revelation. He's not just saying, you know what I think is going to happen, guys. No, he's saying, this is what the Lord had told me. He says, man, those who, um, he says, we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord. We will by no means precede those who are asleep. This is like some major, like, teaching here, what we're learning. Theology is the study of God. Theo, God, ology, study of, okay? If I can, like, break that down. Now, in theology, you, take, you can take classes, or one aspect of theology is eschatology. Big word for study of end times. I do not think that Paul was trying to have some giant eschatological dissertation for the Thessalonians in these, like, five verses that he wrote. I honestly believe that, yes, he's talking about what's going to happen, but what he's trying to get at for these guys is, guys, stop freaking out like those who have no hope. You have hope in Jesus Christ. You don't have to, when you grieve, which is healthy, you don't have to grieve like those who are wandering around aimlessly. They don't know. They just think people are just dead and they just stopped in their existence for all eternity. No, no, no. He's like, you can have hope. Because when Jesus comes again, if we're still alive when that happens, we're going to be reunited with the ones who have already died. I love the fact that I'm going to be reunited with my loved ones who have trusted in the Lord. There's quite a few of them that I can't wait to hug and tell them, well, I guess they probably know how my life worked out. I cannot wait to embrace some people from my family and from my past. I cannot wait that we get reunited with them. Oh, of course, I was mourning and sad and crying when some of them died and others and I wasn't. <laughs> But you know what? I get to be reunited with them. I have that hope. I have that hope. He doesn't want us to be hopeless. He wants us to be hope-filled. They're not going to miss out, he tells them. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I love that when this is all happening, Jesus personally is coming. Now, he says that there's going to be some type of audible situation happening. There might be a shout. There might be the voice of an archangel saying, hey, guys, it's time. Let's go. I don't know what the guy sounds like. Maybe a trumpet. Maybe a trumpet. Sounds more like a rock concert, Pastor Rick, rather than a divine event. What is going on? You sure this isn't just wishful thinking? That is a real thought that people who don't trust in God's word think. They're like, that sounds ridiculous. Trumpets and angels and shouts. What are you talking about? It sounds like a rock concert. Remember what our hope is. We're trusting in what God has done in the past. This would not be the first time that God has caught up or rescued people. God has rescued people from danger before. 
He rescued Noah from the flood, right? Noah and his family from the flood. Remember Lot? And before he took out Sodom and Gomorrah, he saved Lot. Rahab and her family, before the walls of Jericho were coming down, he spared them and he rescued them. God is known for swooping in and keeping some from judgment. Paul is telling us that, yes, death happens. He says, yes, the saints of the past, guys, they're going to be raised. Believers still physically alive, we're also going to be changed. Well, that sounds weird. That's never happened before. Yeah, it has. Enoch and Elijah were taken up to heaven instead of dying. This whole church, our church, not just packing house, but the body of Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ, and they're going to rise. We will rise. We'll, it'll, be, it'll be joyful. It'll be joyful. And if this is your first time, I was just thinking about this. If this is the first time you've come to the packing house on a Sunday night, you're like, what is he talking about? We teach verse by verse and book by book. We've been in Thessalonians for a few weeks now, and this is where we're at, okay? But this is a cool part of Scripture. It's a cool part. He says here in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Whew. It's our turn now. We who are alive will be caught up. Why do you keep saying the word rapture? Okay, here's why uh, churches, believers will often say the word rapture. It's actually not in the Bible. Oh my gosh, what are you teaching us then if it's not in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. The rapture is not the word that the ancient Greek, the Greeks used. Like here in Thessalonians, Paul wrote this in Greek. The whole right side of the Bible is written in Greek. We translated it over the years. The Latin Vulgate, the Latinos of the 4th century, just kidding, they were not Latinos, people who spoke Latin. Thank you. <laughs> the Latin Vulgate, it was a Bible translation that was translated, I still want to say by Latinos, no. It was translated into Latin in the 4th century. And so the phrase caught up, they use the word rapturus, which is where we get the word rapture. So when your friends are trying to beat you up on there, there's no rapture even in the Bible. You're like, listen, dude, my pastor said the Latinos of the fourth century. I'm just, it's people that translate it into Latin, no Latinos, okay? Love you guys. So anyways, that's where we get the word rapture from. Here's what we have. Dead believers rising up. Before the Christians who are still living, zombie apocalypse is going to happen. No brain eating, don't worry. No, the dead are going to go before the alive, the, those who are living. And we're going to have a blast, like this lady here. Woohoo! We're going to have a blast. Look at her little thumb. And she's like, yeah, this is wicked awesome. That's the hope that we should have. You're like, what kind of church did we just walk into? The kids are playing, where, where are they? We're going to be like <laughs> this awesome lady, throwing the thumbs up, doing some chakas. There we go. Oh my goodness, that's the joy he's trying to get to him. He's not trying to say you have a false hope. Oh, let's just hope and hope. That's not what he's getting at. He's all believers in Christ. When Jesus comes again, when you hear that shout, and Jesus is like, hey, everybody, let's go. 
man, you should have this joy. You know what's coming after that shout, that trumpet, that, that archangel's voice? We're like, we're out of here because tribulation happens, the Bible says. Ooh. It's hard to teach on tribulations when she's up there, so we'll just go back to the verse. Okay. See, people, I'll talk about the tribulation for a, a quick second because Bible nerds across the centuries love to argue when this getting caught up is going to happen. They, they like to say, oh, it's going to be in the middle of the tribulation. The tribulation is like a, like a seven-year time span of like turmoil, famine, war. It is a messed up, messed up time. And there are people that are like, no, Rick, you're wrong that you're gonna, the church is going to go before the tribulation. We're going in the middle. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if we can be friends. I don't want to hang out with that kind of attitude. Just kidding, just kidding. But there's people who are what's called mid-trib or post-trib, after, okay? I am a pre-tribber, not because I'm hopefully optimistic. I am a pre-tribber. I will argue with all my Bible college students after the service if you'd like. My name is Pastor Greg. Email me at the Pasking House. He loves talking about that stuff. I love talking about that stuff. The reason why I believe in pre is because right in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which we'll get to in another week or so, Paul says that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, guys, I want to get you out of there beforehand. And I'm like, amen, Lord. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. And there's other, a lot of verses like that. But I will tell you this, church, if you're a pre-tribber, a post-tribber, a mid-tribber, or somehow you found a diplomatic solution to all of those, subscribers of these different, like, positions, check it out. We don't need to be dividers of churches, okay? This is not something to divide on. It's not a salvation issue. If you have someone who doesn't know the Lord and, you, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're starting to believe in this post-trib or pre-trib. Oh, no, that's not a salvation issue. Okay? Where the Bible is a little, there's verses to, that they'll use to support their different points of view. God bless them. We'll figure it out when we get there, okay? When I'm there first, and I'm going to be like, told you. Like Pastor Ed, he says he's an I told you so guy. Like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be right there with Pastor Ed saying, I told you, all you mid-tribbers. Here we are in eternity with Jesus. When the Bible is not super clear about stuff like that, I don't feel like I really do have to amplify that with a bunch of Facebook and social media posts. I don't feel like I have to beat you into submission. Where the Bible is not clear, I don't have to be dogmatic about it. I don't have to be so harsh and firm and just shove it down your throat. I am a preacher. Okay. All this to say that believers, we shall always be with the Lord. So you're trying to tell me that there's going to be this mess, this time span of tribulation and war, and it's going to be messed up, and you're telling me that this loving God, this loving God is going to spare some and just leave the rest to deal with the mess? Why can't we just be all one big cosmic family? Well, I think it's crucial for us to get a good grasp on God's perfect sovereignty. 
He's sovereign. Throughout Scripture, we see that God, he intervenes to protect his people from judgment all throughout Scripture. He protects people, his people, from harm and judgment. This idea of believers being spared from wrath to come, that shouldn't be so so shocking. Think about it. Think about God's loving character as the perfect father taking care of his children who choose to call upon him, who choose to believe in God the Son. He's the good, good father, like the song says. He's perfect in all of his ways. That's what I say to the person who's like, well, why is he sparing some and not others? He's a good dad. He's the perfect dad who's taking care of his kids. But it doesn't, guys, that doesn't diminish the importance of we've got to be sharing the gospel. We've got to be introducing people. Because I don't want any of my friends or family, I don't want anybody to suffer the wrath that's going to come. I don't want anybody to experience that. Which is why Paul tells us in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. We're supposed to use these words to encourage one another, to cheerlead them on. So church, comfort one another with the hope, with the hope that you have. And we'll just close up with these last two verses real quick. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Well, he, what he's saying is he knows these Thessalonians want an exact timeline, but like we heard Jesus say from Matthew, no one knows the hour. Well, no one knows. It could happen now. It could happen 100 years from now. I don't know, but church, let's stay ready so we don't have to get ready. He says for, in verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Well, what are we to, what are we to do knowing that the rapture is going to come? I've met some people that in over the last 30 or 40 years, what they've done is they didn't plan for the future. They were dropping out of school or, you know, not investing, you know, stuff. And it's like, dang, and I meet these folks and I'm like, ooh, how'd that work out for you guys? I mean, I still hope, I know that he's coming again, but still, I'm telling you, he wants us to occupy. He wants us to work. Please, church, invest in your families. Invest in your relationships. Invest in your accounts and stuff. Give some, save some. <laughs> Invest the rest. I don't know, enjoy it. You know, I can't remember exactly what Greg says. I think he says, uh, save some, enjoy Give some, save some, and enjoy it. Occupy, occupy. Blessed is the servant, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, blessed is the servant whom his master will find do, uh, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Keep working. Keep going. Keep sharing. Luke 19, 11, the nobleman who left his servants to work said he gave him 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Jesus says, guys, engage in business till I come. It's okay for you to work on that education. It's okay for you to work on that career. It's okay for you to work on your marriage and your relationships with friends and kids and family. Guys, get, get it done. Keep happening. Well, what are we supposed to do with this information? Guys, this is what we're supposed to do. Wait! It goes with my closer. 
Remember, Back to the Future? I'm on a Back to the Future kick because Vacation Bible School is Back to the Future themed. It's called All Things Possible. If we know what's going to happen in the future, what are we supposed to do? Marty McFly, remember? Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly. Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Marty gets transferred from 1985 all the way back into 1955. And he uses the information that he knows about the future to save his parents' marriage. You have information about the future. Use it to encourage and comfort one another, equip one another with the hope that the Bible shares. Told you I'd tie that in. You want to enjoy this future? You want to enjoy this relationship? I'd like to pray with you. Let's pray and we'll close tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a hope that you have a future and great plans for us, like it says in Jeremiah. Lord, you are the author of our faith, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can have hope in you, that we can have a confident, a trustful expectation in you. If you've been sitting here and you're thinking, I, I want to know where I'll spend eternity. I want to know that when I die, that my sins are not going to keep me from an eternity with Jesus. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven and you'd like to know where you'll spend eternity, then this time is for you. This moment's for you. There's a prayer we pray often here at the Packing House. We pray it every week because we don't want anyone to miss out on, on an opportunity to just pray and invite Jesus into their life. And if you'd like to pray that prayer with us, it goes like this. You can say it in the intimacy of your own heart or you can say it out loud with us. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. And all of God's kids agreed by saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. Hey, church, if no one's uh, told you that they love you, I love you, church. More importantly, God totally loves you. He has a future and a hope for you. God bless you guys, and good night.